I'm Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad, Squad Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. Hey, Bri. Hey, Sarah. What room in your house does a ghost not need? I don't know. A living room. <laughs> <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> Oh man, that's great! I don't care if anybody hates them laughing at these jokes. So fun, fun story. I was on a really awkward call with my team at work because my boss schedules a team meeting every Wednesday, and nobody really had anything to talk about because everything's closed, so we we don't have a lot to do and. It's like, does anybody have any jokes? I'm like, I've got some. <laughs> <laughs> so I just sat there and told Halloween jokes. Okay, I have to say, out of all the ones that we've done, that one was great. <laughs> I really don't want to tell mine now because Do that it. one was good. No, yours is cute. Okay, all right. <laughs> All right, what do you call a dead detective? I don't know, Brie. What do you call a dead detective? Sherlock Bones. <laughs> you know what? I feel like that should be a dog costume if it's not already. <gasps> Ooh, that should be a dog costume. Ava. Yeah, Peanut Dog's going to be uh, Sherlock Bones for Halloween. She's silently ignoring us. No, she's licking her lady business. She's busy. <laughs> <laughs> Telling her personal business. <laughs> On the podcast. <laughs> she's a dog. <laughs> no, the look, look at the face now. Oh, yeah. No, she's real mad. <laughs> Talking about her, looking her so lady stuff. Better side eye than any Oh, human. that's the best right there. Yep. I feel like you need to take a picture. And post it. And post that. So everyone <laughs> who listens knows what the Ava dog side eye is. Peanut. Like over here. Oh, it's a little grainy, but that's okay. it's so great (laughs) anyway should we get into our booze news yeah because she's staring at me (laughs) (laughs) just thinking about how if she had them she'd shave your eyebrows while she sleeps yeah exactly yeah so our booze news (laughs) booze news booze news um oh yes so dc comics is celebrating halloween this year with two brand new anthology one shots one starring uh swamp thing and the other one featuring batman wonder woman and man bat the hell is man bat i don't know but i'm here for it if we have any dc comics listeners please educate me on man bat because bats are my favorite animal I, I feel like you would really like this character. I, I'm i already here for it. Yeah. <laughs> so Legend of the Swamp Thing Halloween Spectacular number one will release on October 6th. And then The Doomed and the Damned number one follows in its footsteps on October 13th. Good. We need some good news for Halloween this year. Yeah. And I kind of like comics. That's like the nerd in me. Yeah. I kind of like reading those. Well, and of course, I mean, there's man bat, so mm-hmm. got to. If it's anything like a like an animal <laughs> bat, I'm good with it. So um, also some interesting new news. Uh, it was announced that we, we mentioned before in a previous podcast um, about Universal taking on a new take of uh, Wolfman. And it's set to star with uh, Ryan Gosling. 
as Mm. the title Mm. character. But good news with this. At the time, there was no director on board when we mentioned this. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, Deadline says that uh, Lee Wanell from The Invisible Man is now in negotiations. Okay. To direct. This could save it. So, it's getting better. Also, Wanell is writing the treatment for the film. Ooh. Yeah, and he is basing his original idea... Uh, of his own and also being inspired by the 1941 classic Mm. and then additionally uh blumhouse has also boarded okay yeah, that's new because they weren't originally on board yeah as of like two weeks ago and then and if and this is wrong thanks deadline (laughs) 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 thanks for the (laughs) wrong hollywood news here i am taking a sip of my fourth cup of coffee for the day (laughs) and part of it came out of my nose Um, yeah no i'm sure it's correct but i'm i'm glad because as of two weeks ago jason blum had said that he they were gonna do the um the new dracula that's coming out yes but not the wolfman so now this gives me some hope well you know money talks uh yep everybody got a price (laughs) so maybe the the right price was laid on the table Mm mm-hmm and then also coming back to Amazon Prime is the second season of The Boys. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Nope. But it's pretty cool. But if you're not into like super gory nope. type action shows, I don't know if it's for you, but I like it. Uh, I kind of like some that some of these superheroes have a really bad side. I'll give it a chance. I liked it. It was weird okay. at first, but I liked it. I'll give it a chance. Yeah. But the second season uh, is headed to Amazon Prime on September 4th. Nice. Hey. And sad Halloween news. No, I don't uh, want any more. There, I know. <laughs> it's just like one continuous punch to the gut at I this know. point. Um, so sad news, Son of Monster Palooza, which was our very first podcast episode. Yep. Uh, Son of Monster Palooza has officially been canceled. But uh, Monster Palooza, which is the big uh, grandparent of all conventions, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, shortly after uh, secondary follow up, I guess, to Midsummer Scream, um, will be back in May of next year at the Pasadena Convention Center. Um, And I actually like Monster Palooza better than Son of Monster Palooza because it's more open. The Pasadena Convention Center is just so much bigger. and there's, I feel like there's more vendors, there's more going on, there's more people to meet, there's more makeup demonstrations. So I'm bummed, but I look forward to Monster Palooza in May. Yes, me too. Mm-hmm. And then there is a new documentary releasing just in time for Halloween <gasps> called The Mothman Legacy. Ooh, we just talked about this. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, directed by Seth Breedlove and produced by Adrian Breedlove. And it's the follow-up to Terrors in the Skies um, and a direct sequel to 2017's The Mothman of Pleasant Point. Ooh, nice. I know. I love me a good a good Mothman documentary. So. Yeah. I would like to learn more about that. It's uh go down the dark rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. The 3 a.m. <laughs> rabbit hole when you can't sleep. It's reserved for cramming for work and uh, mysterious deaths and cryptoids. Yes. Yep. Should we get into our creators of color that we want to highlight yes. for this episode? 
for sure. Um, I found one called Nasty Gem. Mm. I love it. Just love the name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, independently owned. Every item in this shop is handmade, processed, packaged, and shipped by the owner. Aww. I appreciate stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot. Um, this, she has uh, spiky bags and collars, deadly earrings, and chunky steel accessories. Um, and uh, they're, they're kind of like the mainstay motifs of Nasty Gem. But you can find some softer touches like butterflies and Care Bears fucking care bears yes you know me i'm like one big care bear oh my care bear stare <laughs> you're my little pastel goth care bear it's me <laughs> i'm here Aww. all rainbows and unicorns and glitter and a little bit of darkness all rolled into one <laughs> that is the most accurate description of you ever yeah <laughs> um, the one that I picked is Sista Sci-Fi, and that is spelled S-I-S-T-A-H, Sci-Fi. Um, so it is a sci-fi and horror bookstore that's founded by Isis Asari, and uh, she's got a website for all of her books. It is, as she puts it, a cauldron of all things Afrofuturism, mysticism, science fiction, voodoo, magical realism, speculative fiction, and horror. Uh, casting spells to uplift literature written by black women. So if you're looking for spooky books and subject matters highlighted by black authors then this is the website for you i've actually ordered a couple that are now sold out um but she's got audiobooks um she's got tote bags she's got shirts i mean she's got all kinds of good stuff but does a lot with um specifically books paperbacks hardcovers and so forth oh nice yeah so definitely check it out support uh black female authors and horror because there are not enough of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There are not. <laughs> now, our topic this week. <laughs> Get the sage ready. Yeah. We're actually, <laughs> we're excited to talk about it. And we're also really terrified to talk about it. I'm holding a protection stone. <laughs> I'm wearing a protection amulet. Right now we have sage. We do. Oh, shit. No, where did I put the sage? Oh, no. <gasps> I left the sage in the kitchen when oh, I went to doomed. get my cup of coffee. It's too late. <laughs> For walking away from this from, with the demon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hey, if we if the paranormal games one didn't summon anything in my house last week, then I, right. we might be okay. But no promises. Um, <laughs> so the reason that and and once we say the title of it, you'll understand. Uh, the topic that we are talking about today is the film The Exorcist. Now Ooh. we're going to talk primarily about the first film that came out in 1973, but. We're going to go into less of the plot because this is absolutely the most iconic horror movie of all time. One of the greatest films ever made, regardless of genre. And it was actually the first horror film to be nominated for a Best Picture Academy Award. Rightfully Um, so. Absolutely. So we want to do it justice. and, And I think everybody's familiar with the plot. So we'll go less into the synopsis of the film and we'll still talk about, you know, how it was filmed and. Um, some of the different film tricks that were used, but we also wanted to give the backstory on the book um, yes. by William Peter Blatley. 
Um, and we wanted to talk about the backstory, which was the exorcism of Ronald Doe. But then we also wanted to talk about the set of the film. Because for anyone that didn't know, I'm sure most people probably do that are fans of the film, uh, the set was incredibly cursed and yes. haunted. And there's a lot of really creepy things that happened. Um, so... With that, yes. Well, I'd like to start off by talking about the exorcism of Roland Doe. Now, um, I'll say before this, I have family that lives in St. Louis, and they just happened to know where the real house was. Eek. And I went oh. in the dark mm. and took a picture um. and quickly drove away. Yeah, I don't But also, you. my friend who was with me, is she uh, practices the wonderful uh, spirituality of Wicca mm-hmm. and uh, bless the car and everybody in it as we drove away. <laughs> so, and I'm here, so <laughs> we're fine. Um, <laughs> but just a little backstory on basically what um, you know events were used in uh, Blatley's novel. Um, In the late 1940s, a priest of the Roman Catholic Church performed a series of exorcisms on an anonymous boy, but he is documented under the the pseudonym of Rolando or Robbie Mannheim. Uh, The 14-year-old boy was the alleged victim of demonic possession, and the events were recorded by the attending priest, Raymond J. Bishop. Um... And then the sub- subsequent uh, supernatural claims surrounding the events were used as elements in uh, William Peter Blatley's novel, The Exorcist, in 1971. So, according to Thomas B. Allen, um, after Aunt Harriet's death, uh, the family experienced strange noises, furniture moving on its own accord, um, and ordinary objects such as vases flying or levitating when the boy was nearby. Uh, the family turned to their Lutheran pastor, uh, Luther Miles uh, Schultze, uh, for help. Uh, long uh, interested in uh, parapsychology, Schultze arranged uh, for the boy to spend a night in his home in order to observe him. Um, when parapsychologist J.B. Ryan learned that Solchi, Sol- I messed this up the whole time, mm-hmm. <laughs> claimed he witnessed household objects and furniture seem- seemingly moving by themselves, Ryan wondered if uh, he had kind of like unconsciously it, like exaggerated some of the facts. Um, but uh, Schultze advised the boy's parents to see a Catholic priest, like specifically mm. a Catholic priest. So... This is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, according to the story, the boy underwent a number of exorcisms. Um, Edward Hughes, a Roman Catholic police, a priest, uh, conducted the exorcism on Roland, uh, Roland um, at the Georgetown University Hospital. Um, during the exorcism, the boy allegedly slipped one of his hands out of the restraints, broke, uh, broke a bed spring from under the mattress, and used it as an impromptu weapon, slashing the, sleep, the priest's arm and resulting in the exorcism ritual to be halted. Oh. Yeah. The family then traveled to St. Louis, and this is where I saw the house, mm. <laughs> um, where Roland's cousin contacted one of his professors professors at St. Louis University, a bishop who in turn spoke to William S. Uh, Bowdern, 
an associate of the uh, college church. Together, both, both priests visited Roland in his relative's home, where they allegedly observed a shaking bed, flying objects, the boy speaking in like a real guttural voice, and uh, exhibiting an aversion to anything sacred. Uh, Baldern was granted permission from the archbishop to perform another exorcism. The exorcism took place at the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri, um, which was later raised. Um, I've actually been to this hospital. My mom took me there. (laughs) Or like where it was. (laughs) Yeah, very creepy. (laughs) Um, Before the next um, exorcism ritual began, another priest, uh, Walter Halloran, was called to the psychiatric wing of the the hospital where he was asked to assist. Uh, William Van Roo, a third Jesuit priest, was also there to assist. Uh, Halloran stated that during the scene, words such as evil and hell, um, along with other various marks, appeared on the teenager's body. Yeah. (laughs) And then allegedly during the... uh, litany uh, portion of the exorcism uh the boy's mattress began to shake and then moreover uh, roland uh broke halloran's nose in the process mm. yeah <laughs> yikes yeah so <laughs> so um halloran told a reporter that after it was over the um the boy uh, who was the subject of the exorcism went on to lead a rather ordinary life that doesn't seem really ordinary to me no, and so I know that f- from some of the documentaries that I've watched and such, people have tried to contact him mm-hmm. and tried to talk to him about it. And uh, there's actually a podcast, I don't recall which one, but uh, there was another podcast where they talked a little more in depth about his possession and they actually were able to find him. And they called him and they tried to talk to him about it and he hung up the phone. Yep. He's like, nope. Yep. Nope. I heard that's just, that's like, you, you don't talk about it. We don't talk about these things. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope, nope, nope. And the church won't talk about it either. No, but there's a lot that the church won't talk about. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that's another episode. <laughs> and, and probably not on this podcast. In but. this episode of things so horrifying, they can't possibly be true, but they are. <laughs> oh, so that, I mean... And if you remember in the movie, you know, the bed shaking, levitating, mm-hmm. all that, that was all from this story mm. and that inspired the book. Mm. Have you read the book? No, but I have it. I need to read it. Did you read it? I did. And it is more terrifying than the movie. Really? I heard that. Um, but now, the, I mean, but especially because, you know, like the story is somewhat real mm-hmm. from kind of like what we know about it. So like in... You know, reading that and then reading the book, you're just like, ooh, it just gives you chills. So I heard that um, because when William Peter Blatley um, wrote it, they the family requested that they make the main character a girl to try to protect his anonymity. Mm-hmm. But there are some of the nastier scenes from the movie, like the, the crucifix masturbation scene. From what I've heard and doing my research for the podcast today... That scene in the book is actually much longer and it much more gruesome. It is than than was in the film. I'm I'm here to attest to that. Eek! So good luck. Eek! <laughs> good luck reading that. Yeah. Um. So just a, a very brief synopsis of the plot. I'm sure 
every one of our listeners has seen this movie more times than they can count. But for those that haven't, um, the film starts out following a priest by the name of Lancaster uh, Marin, Mm -hmm. who is a veteran Catholic priest um, who performed an exorcism in the 1950s in the city of Hatra in Iraq. Um, And there he finds an amulet that resembles Pazuzu, who is a an ancient demon who Father Marin's familiar with. However, in this first film, the demon's not named. It doesn't get named until the second film, which yeah. we'll talk about a little bit, but we're not going to waste much time on it because it truly would just be a waste to talk about that movie. Yes, agreed. <laughs> um, so then we fast forward to Georgetown, and there's an actress by the name of Chris McNeil who is played by the legendary Ellen Bernstein, who is one of my favorite actresses of all time. She's phenomenal. And her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan. Um, so Ellen Bernstein as Chris McNeil is an actress. She's starring in a film about activism, um, and it's directed by a friend of hers. So after playing with a Ouija board, Reagan contacts uh, an imaginary friend that she calls Captain Howdy. And then things start happening within the house. So Chris McNeil starts hearing things in the attic. Um, Reagan starts acting strangely with using terrible language that she's never used before. She There's the scene in the film when there's a party at the house and Reagan comes down from bed and she says, you know, you're all going to die soon and pees all over the floor. Um, and then she starts exhibiting abnormal strength. Um, and then there's all this other continued poltergeist type activity. Um, and then once all of this, once that party happens, things just kind of escalate. Now there was an extended version of the film. That was the move, the film. I think it was called the quote unquote, the film you never saw or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So this was the extended cut that, um, William Friedkin had initially created for the movie. And never, you know, there were these different pieces that, didn't quite make it. So I actually saw as a kid, uh, I saw the exorcist the first time, I think I was 11 or 12 and I saw it right when this extended version came out in 2000. So I had to have been 12 and it had the scene after she goes back upstairs from the party and then, you know, they're cleaning up the pee from the floor and so oh, forth. Right, yeah. And then she, uh, the contortionist <laughs> version of Reagan bends backwards and walks down, does the spider crawl down the stairs <laughs> I I screamed so loud because we, yeah. we weren't supposed to be watching that movie. Um, it was <laughs> That's with, what happens. Yeah, it was with my, my elementary school best friend. We were told not to watch it, and we snuck downstairs, and it was back when we still had things on VHS, mm-hmm. and her parents happened to have it on VHS, and right when that scene happened, I screamed my head off, and so did she, and then obviously <laughs> we woke up everybody, and we got in loads of trouble, um, even though we just came downstairs and you know, kept watching the film anyway after everybody went back to sleep because that's what you do. Yep. <laughs> um, so they start thinking that Reagan is mentally disturbed and, you know, it couldn't possibly be anything else. So she starts, Chris, her mom starts consulting different physicians and psychiatrists and they find out that nothing is physically or psychologically wrong with her. Um, so then one night while, Chris is out, her director friend, 
uh, is supposed to be babysitting Reagan. And then when she comes back, she hears that he fell, he died by falling out of the window and down the steps. Um, so everybody mm. thinks it's an accident, but obviously we all know it wasn't. Yeah. So his death is investigated by Lieutenant William Kinderman. Now, his character is important because you don't see him in the second film. Yeah. But he actually comes back in the third one and he is played by another acting legend, better known for his role as General Patton, uh, George T. Scott. Yep. That was a real, he was really good. He was amazing in that movie, but he's amazing in everything. Yeah. I mean, but I feel like if he wasn't in that, it probably wouldn't have been that good. No, it probably would have been awful. <laughs> um, so... He interviews Chris. He also can, uh, you know, he consults a psychiatrist who is actually also a priest named Father Damien Paris or Damien Karras. Gosh, why? It's four cups of coffee. Sorry. <laughs> I'm all amped up. Um, so he's a priest who's struggling with his faith. And, you know, that only gets worse after his mother passes away in the film. Yeah. Um, so... Every no one seems to think that any of this is physical or psych or they they think that it's psychological. So they recommend that an exorcism is performed to help um, get this possession thought out of Reagan's head. So Chris then goes to meet with Damien Karras. He initially, you know, rebukes her requests. Yeah. And then after she starts speaking in different languages and. Um, the words help me appear on oh, her stomach. That part. Well, Ooh. I'll actually talk about how they did that. Okay. Um, I'm excited. To yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so he's, he ends up being convinced that she's possessed. So he decides to perform it. And then he also ends up partnering with father Marin, who is the title character. He's mm -hmm. the exorcist, even though you see him the least of any character in the right. film. Um, so he performs it. And then, obviously, there's all of these weird things that happen as they attempt to do it. Um, and the the demon claims to be the devil. And um, Father Karras, obviously being in such a compromised state, ends up getting thrown out of the room by Father Marin because he just can't. Yeah. He's, he, he's in too compromised of a state to be able to help. And even in the book, too, like, you, you really feel, like, what he's feeling in that moment it, it goes into a little bit more detail mm -hmm. but anyway sorry well and I, I feel i feel like that's this piece for anyone who was raised in a religious home and i i i know you were too yes. i was raised in a very strict religious home and right around my adolescent years was when i had my loss of faith Mm -hmm. due to other experiences in my life. Yeah. And I think that anyone that has gone through that can really identify with Father Karras. Yes. Um, with some of his experiences, and then the final straw being his mother's death. Yeah. Well, um, and I really feel like that's some of the reason why this, this movie was so hard for people to watch. Oh, absolutely. Is because of that. Absolutely. Um, so when he ends up going back in the room, he discovers that Father Marin's dead, and... He tries to revive him, doesn't work. So obviously Reagan's there, possessed, laughing, mocking him, <laughs> laughing her butt off. Oh yeah. So <laughs> um, he ends up wrestling her to the ground and then um, convinces the demon to take him instead. And then once that happens and he's possessed, when that last bit of him is hanging on, he throws himself out the window and down the steps to to kill himself and defeat that demon. Um. Mm. yeah so 
a few days later, Reagan goes back to LA with her mom and she doesn't remember anything that happened. Um, and the film ends. Yep. So. But we all know that if you don't properly exercise the demon, it's still alive. Mm-hmm. Just goes just, from one place to the other. Just, just letting you know. Mm-hmm. So even though he died at the end, that demon is still out there. Mm-hmm. Not to scare you even more. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the cast. So we obviously have um, Ellen Bernstein as Chris McNeil, who's a wonderful actress. And then Max von Sydow, who actually just passed away this year. Yeah. Um, he was really good. He was amazing. Um, and then this was actually the very first role for Jason Miller, who played Father Karras. Yes. And uh, Kitty Wynn, who plays the Sharon, who's kind of the, um, she's not a housekeeper. I guess you could call her a housekeeper. Like the housekeeper name. like Yeah, like au pair type figure. Yeah. Um, she actually reprises her role in the second film. Yes. Yep. And then you had a very young uh, Linda Blair yeah, I was going to get into a little bit of that because it took them a long time to kind of like decide a little bit like who was going to play Reagan. It sure did. Yes. <laughs> they were, you know, like even like a, one of the directors that was considered uh, Mike Nichols, he actually turned down the project specifically because he didn't believe that a 12 year old girl, you know, was capable of playing this part Mm -hmm. but it specifically had to be a young girl because that's how it was in the book Mm -hmm. so (laughs) um so the first like actresses that were um uh kind of considered uh pamela ferdin um she's a veteran of the science fiction and supernatural drama she was um a candidate for the role of reagan but ultimately had to turn it down um uh because yeah, she just, you know, she wasn't, like, I guess, too familiar, like, you know, to the public, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, next was uh, April Winchell. She was considered, mm-hmm. but she developed this disease that I cannot say the name. Which one? <laughs> that. Oh. Yeah, I was trying girl, to figure- girl, you on your own. Yeah. Uh, Pylonophoritis. Sounds complicated. Anyway, she got sick, so she couldn't work. Let's <laughs> go say that. And then Denise Nickerson, mm-hmm. who played Violet Beauregard, mm-hmm. was considered, but the material troubled her parents, rightfully so. Understandable. <laughs> and then uh, Anissa Jones was also considered uh, for the role. She auditioned, but um, she was like also just kind of rejected. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, freaking had started to interview young women, um, more closely to like the age of 16 who looked like they could be young enough to, to play Reagan. Um, and then Eleanor, uh, Blair came into the director's New York office with her daughter, Linda. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the agency representing Linda had not sent her for the part at all. But um, she had previously met with uh, Warner Brothers Pictures casting department and then with Freakin. 
So and fun fact, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was also considered. Yes. And Janet <laughs> Lee, her mother, said no she way. She said hell no. Hell no. But you can do Halloween. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I forgot to put that point in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um you know, like she uh freaking was really impressed, you know, with Linda and um definitely felt like she could, you know, play the part. And uh, you know, she told him she had read the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she basically told him, in quotes, it's about a little girl who gets possessed by the devil and does a whole bunch of bad things. I mean, what else do you I need mean, to know? <laughs> so, you know, freaking then asked her, like, you know, what sort of bad things did you mean? And she's like, well, she pushes, pushes a man out of her bedroom window. She hits her mother across the face. And then she masturbates with a crucifix. <laughs> So then freaking then asked Linda if she knew what masturbation meant. And she said, it's like jerking off, isn't it? I mean, she's not wrong. (laughs) So basically she got the part. (laughs) (laughs) He felt like, you know, she was, she could handle it. Mm -hmm. And which she did. Yeah. So. And from a directorial perspective, perspective uh william peter blatley had made a really smart decision when he sold off the rights to the novel he uh insisted that he stay on as one of the producers um, very smart so, yep so that way he would have to have an opinion and a say in how it turned out um and the studio had a list of directors that they wanted for the gig so it was arthur penn uh, Peter Bogdanovich, Mike Nichols, um, and Stanley Kubrick actually as well. I didn't know that. Um, but William Peter Blatley only wanted William Friedkin to do it. And he believed that the film would actually benefit from, as he described it, a grittier style, similar to what um, Friedkin had done on The French Connection. And when the studio told William Peter Blatley that they had actually hired Mike Rydell, Mark Rydell for, for the director's spot, Blatley just said, nope, Mm-mm. nope, you will have this person. Um, and he won. He stood his ground. Nice. And there were actually some other um, interesting casting choices that I didn't know. So um, Friedkin initially wanted for the role of Father Marin, uh, Marlon Brando. Oh. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, he, he vetoed the decision to have Marlon Brando do it. Cause could you imagine Marlon Brando with his godfather voice? The power of Christ compels you. I don't think we would have been able to take it seriously. And also because he talks so slow, I feel like Mm -hmm. the movie would have been longer. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) Um, so it ended up going to Max von Sydow, who, which is perfect. Yep. And he was only he wasn't an old man when this movie came out he was actually a fairly young guy um so fun fact for makeup it took so many hours with legendary makeup artist and special effects artist dick smith um it took so many hours in the chair to it was three hours a day 
to age him 30 years. So wow. he, yeah. So there were some jokes on set that uh, Max von Sydow was actually wearing more makeup than the demon possessed Reagan character. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so they actually accomplished the aging process by using a mix of stipple techniques and liquid latex. It takes a really long time. A really long time. I used to watch a show on sci-fi. Um, oh, makeup. Is it face-off? Uh, yes, face-off. Yeah. I, I don't believe that they have that little time Mm-mm. to make those like full costumes, because I know how long that takes. Mm-hmm. So, but well, anyway. <laughs> and then for... Um, Damien Karras, the role of Father Karras, they actually had Jack Nicholson early in the mix. Oh. And then uh, William Peter Blatley actually settled on Stacey Keach. Mm-hmm. But then he happened to see a performance of that championship season, which was written and starred in by Jason Miller. So uh, Friedkin knew then after seeing that, that he had actually found his his man. He had found his Father Karras. Um, so that's out. And and um, Jason Miller is actually nominated for an Oscar for his role. Mm-hmm. Nice. So let's talk about a few other production notes on the film. Oh, yeah. Well, there was one that I had very interesting that I didn't know. Um, so kind of going back to Reagan. <laughs> Um, I did not know that um, Mercedes McCambridge uh, did provide the demon's voice. Mm -hmm. I thought, because I originally knew that they were kind of taking her voice and like kind of electronically deepened and kind of roughed it up, Mm -hmm. you know, for the demon's dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, But they said like, you know, it kind of worked fine, but then, you know, they kind of wanted to venture out and try to find something that would work a little bit better she was once dubbed by orson wells as the world's greatest living radio actress yes and i mean she did a pretty amazing job mm-hmm. but i will say after filming warner brothers did not include a credit for her no and so i found out because I, I knew that she was the voice and she actually accomplished that voice as she put it by sticking to a diet of chain smoking and raw eggs and whiskey oh my god (laughs) why breakfast of champions i I mean (laughs) that's method for you Uh uh-huh so that's how she that's how she accomplished that vocal performance and she actually initially requested to be left off of the credits because she didn't want to take away from linda blair's performance but then later she changed her mind I'm glad. And then that actually ended up causing a ton of controversy because Mm -hmm. Linda Blair was also nominated um, for an Oscar as Best Supporting Actress. And she was only 15 at the time. Um, But there was so much controversy because Mercedes McCambridge did the voice as Mm -hmm. Possessed Reagan. Um, So the Academy just completely voted against her because of the having somebody else yeah. vocalize the performance. Yeah. But I mean, a little bit of her voice was used, um, like for the crucifix scene, mm-hmm. uh, Blair's own voice was recorded as she yelled out all the demon dialogue in a rage. Mm-hmm. And then the result uh, was then recorded in a slow down mode to achieve a very low bass. Mm-hmm. And the very low bass result then was, was then re-recorded 
at such a speed as to achieve like a raging alto male voice. So, I mean, there was a little bit in there, but I totally get that. They needed to give her her credit. But they did, um, it led to the Screen Actors Guild uh, arbitration before she was credited, you know, for her Mm -hmm. performance. So, And a couple of other fun production notes. So, this most, the beginning part of the film was filmed in the city of Mosul in Iraq. Mm. Now I actually saw something that said that, um, I know that shooting had to be limited because it was so hot. It was oh, yeah. like some of the temperatures reached 130 degrees. I mean, look degrees. where they went. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it's the desert. <laughs> what do you expect? Um, but also I read that they had to limit the crew that was sent there because not everybody could actually get into Iraq at the time because of relations with the U S and Iraq during that period. Oof. Mm-hmm. And also just hot. Yeah, 130 degrees. I mean, and I grew up on the edge of the Mojave Desert, and I thought that 120 was hot. I, but you know what? I feel like after 120, it's really all just numbers at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know me and heat. I'm, I'm so not there. Nope. Hard pass. I will be inside in air-conditioned temperatures. Thank exactly. you. Because I'm a mess mm-hmm. when it's too here. hot outside but i do want to go to egypt one day so that's gonna be a problem oh yeah same here i do want to we'll go <laughs> we'll go uh in some of the cooler months because like i don't i mean do they have a winter um i think i don't think i would classify it as winter i think i would just classify it as less hot okay <laughs> i mean like 80s sure yeah probably not okay <laughs> anyway <laughs> I feel like it's I feel like it's it's the same as going to Hawaii where it's either it's hot or it's less hot or humid and less humid, but still always hot and humid no matter what. Yeah. Um, So the the quote unquote exorcist steps where Father Karras is thrown out of um, or throws himself out of are located in Georgetown. And they're actually at the intersection of M Street Northwest and Canal Road Northwest and Whitehurst Freeway Northwest. Um, The stairs are set back in a small parking lot facing the intersection, and they were padded with half an inch thick rubber to film the death scene for Damien Karras. And because the house that he falls from was set back slightly, the film crew actually had to construct an extension with a false front to the house in order to film that scene. So this and the stunt man had to stumble down those stairs, twi- the stairs twice. Oh um, my god! And fun fact: apparently, Georgetown students charged people five bucks to watch the stunt from their rooftops. What? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I hope they made money. Right. I'm sure they did. Because that's, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> while the film set in D.C., many of the interior scenes were shot in various parts of New York City. So the McNeil residence interiors were filmed at Seco Studios in Manhattan. Okay. Um, and the bedroom scene was, this, or the set was refrigerated to capture that authentic icy breath of the I actors. I loved that. He, yeah. I mean, I, I would to a degree. 
I love the cold. I'm like an orchid. I need it to be no more than a range of like 15 degrees for me to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's sad to know that even, you know, it was freezing in there, like, she, Linda Blair, was in that thin nightgown mm-hmm. while the crew was in, like, a whole, like, cold weather clothing. Well, and funny you should mention that, so apparently she says that to this day she still can't stand being cold. I mean, I think after that, That's fair. it'd be a problem. I mean, I lived in Michigan for five years, and I didn't want to go back to the cold for a while, so. Mm-hmm. But I still like the cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at least I get kind of, like, a little, little bit of everything in California, but not, like, super cold unless mm-hmm. you go up to the mountains of course but mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> and the scenes that were filmed with some of the different um physical and psychological tests that were performed on reagan um were filmed at the new york university medical center mm. and fun fact there is actually a killer that was caught on film and when we talk a little what? more about uh huh a killer there's a killer in that scene so there's an x-ray technician named paul bateson who is one of the and fun fact he was an x-ray technician by trade he's not an actor so he is one of the radiologists that was present during the um carotid angiography scene okay and several years later he was convicted of murdering a film critic named addison virrell and oh, he, wow. mm-hmm, he was the prime suspect in what was known as the bag murders, which were carried out from 1977 to 1978, oh in God. which six male victims were mutilated and dismembered. Their remains wrapped what? in black plastic bags. Yep. And dumped in the, Hus- the Hudson <gasps> River. Um, oh. Some of the grizzly fragments washed up on the New Jersey shore. Nope. And, yep. And nope. others, <laughs> others came ground near the World Trade Center. Um, the murders were the inspiration for another William Friedkin film, Cruising, starring mm. Al Pacino. Oh, I don't think I've seen that one. I have. Oh, <laughs> um, doesn't sound good. No. Okay. Well, it, it's, it's good. It's oh. good, but it's disturbing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> From that aspect of it. Okay. Um, and then the scenes where Father Karras is listening to the tapes of Reagan and, and the dialogue were filmed in the basement of of Keating Hall at Fordham University in the Bronx. Oh. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. All these little things that I did not know. Yep. And um, <laughs> Father Marin's arrival scene, which is the um, was actually filmed on Max von Sydow's first day of work. Um, oh. And when he, it's that scene when he steps out of the cabin stands in front of the, Mac, the McNeil residence, and then there's the, the creepy mist and then the street lamp. That's like my favorite picture. Oh, yeah. It's a great shot. It's, it's like, it just, ugh. Well, so just sets the tone. That scene <laughs> was inspired by a 1954 f- painting called Empire of Light. Oh. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I didn't either. You but learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about some of the special effects from oh. the film. So some uh, good stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> legendary makeup artist Dick Smith. I mean, the best. One of the best. One of the best. <laughs> um, so in one scene, there's actually, and we talked about Max von Sydow's makeup. Mm-hmm. So he's actually wearing more makeup than Linda Blair's possessed Reagan, um, because they wanted more 
more close-ups of his face. Well, yeah, and I liked it because it was just very detailed. Mm -hmm. Like, super detailed. Like, I don't think I've... I mean, for that time, I don't think I've ever seen in movies in that era of, like, such detail like that. I don't know. never. Like, I just feel like that was really good. And even, even Reagan's face. Like, I liked what they did with her. Oh, yeah. There's so much liquid latex on that. <laughs> so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there is the legendary spider walk scene. And this is Ooh. the one that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I um, like that scene. <laughs> it's, it's, well, I mean, it's now I can look at it and I'm like, oh, that's neat. But as a kid, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> so um, there's a contortionist by the name of Linda R. Hager who was hired to perform it. Um, and she was able to complete that scene by using a harness and some flying wires that were hung above the staircase. Um, and she was just barely touching the stairs with her hands and her feet when she walked down. And she said that that light touch was key in, in the execution of that particular scene. Oh, so the reason why this was cut is because apparently... You could see too much of the wires and the apparatus in view of that scene. So in 2000, when it was re or when it was reincorporated into the film, they actually were able to, I mean, you know, technology has advanced quite a bit in almost 40 years. So they were able to edit out, digitally edit out the wires. And that's why it was incorporated back in. Very cool. Yeah. And then uh, that scene that we talked about where the help me words come out of our torso. Yes. So that was accomplished with a foam latex replica of Linda Blair's stomach. And they wrote out the words with a paintbrush and cleaning fluid. And then they filmed the words as they formed this chemical reaction. And then uh, Dick Smith heated the chemical cleaning fluid and that's what formed the blisters with a blow dryer and then they deflated genius so yeah so then when they ran it backwards it appeared as though the words were rising out of her skin that's crazy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's so crazy isn't it (laughs) oh my god isn't it that that's crazy yeah i'm always like amazed by you know, what they come up with and work with what they have as far as, you know, creating these special effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's definitely more amazing, like, for films, like, in the 30s and 40s. But even, like, you know, coming... Even the 70s. You know, yeah, even the 70s, like, coming into that, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and another, like, the iconic scene with the soup. Oh, yeah. So, uh... I didn't know this, but apparently Campbell's soup was attempted, but it didn't quite have the texture that they wanted. So they mixed Anderson's pea soup with oatmeal. Yeah, I could see that. Right. And Anderson's is the best pea soup. I just hate peas, period. I do too. But you know what's weird? Hmm. I like pea soup. That is weird. (laughs) But only Anderson's. (laughs) Because it's not that bad. It has bacon in it. Well, I can't have it. I know. But that's okay. But it makes it better. (laughs) (laughs) But bacon makes everything better. Yes. Um, Shout out to Anderson's on that. (laughs) Right? So they used Anderson's pea soup mixed with oatmeal. Um, Now, fun fact, uh, William Friedkin was notorious for using some um, manipulative and kind of secretive 
tactics for capturing the reaction that he wanted to get really authentic reactions from his actors. Um, so he told uh, Jason Miller, who plays Father Karras, that the substance was the the pea soup was only going to hit him in the chest. And <laughs> there's some debate that this was either a an equipment malfunction or a lie by Friedkin, but the pea soup ends up shooting him in the face, as we all know. <gasps> so that reaction from him being ridiculously disgusted, that was legit. He was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like sometimes you have to do that in order to get the reaction you really want. Oh, I'd Because be sometimes, pissed. I mean, I would be really pissed too, but I mean, it made great movie magic Mm -hmm. (laughs) i kind of feel like sometimes going method doesn't push you all the way sometimes you just kind of have to like have things scare the crap out of you or surprise you you need to have a couple of extra little helper pieces there yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and the last special effects note that i had is um a lot of the moaning and grunting that was vocalized as the demon Mm -hmm. um particularly at the end that is this is so sad. Like, this makes my little vegan heart cry. Um, the sound that you're hearing is actually the squealing of pigs that are being led to no! slaughter. No! Don't tell PETA that. Oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> no! I know. This makes my little, my vegan heart cry. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super sad. I'm not sad. vegan, but I'm sad. I know. I mean, I know I like bacon, but... <laughs> It's still sad. I still, I, I'm still lobbying for Jared to let me adopt a mini pig and name it Hamlet. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. Someday. Someday we'll have a mini pig named Hamlet and it will be best friends with Peanut. Or like Sir Pigs a lot. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about the subliminal imagery that is widely distributed or distributed i'm sorry disputed (laughs) yeah so when i was re-watching this i wanted to kind of focus on Mm -hmm. that a little bit Mm -hmm. like just because i've heard so much but then i guess i just wasn't uh, paying like attention that much like the first time that i watched it and then like after kind of doing the research and heard there was like all these you know subliminal messages that i missed i'm like huh (laughs) i didn't know that (laughs) because it's like it was it's like a big like you know controversy for for this Mm -hmm. (laughs) um well and it so and and i remember seeing the the cuts to the pazuzu face Mm -hmm. um yeah which everybody thought was Jason Miller in some sort of a death mask or makeup. It yeah. was actually uh, the actress Eileen Dietz. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, let's let's also talk about the uh, bed posts that cast phallic shadows on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was... I mean, you know, I feel like in every movie, someone always tries to find some kind of phallic form to point out mm-hmm. hence my little mermaid tape cover <laughs> that i have two copies of <laughs> you should keep it. just because of that fact 
Um, but also the the skull face that's uh, superimposed into one of Father Marin's breath clouds. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was really cool. But oh, I yeah. didn't notice it at first. Mm-mm. Like not even one bit. So I like totally missed that. So I'm glad that I kind of like did a little bit more research and then watched it again mm-hmm. so that I can like, you know, kind of make sure to spot those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, so let's talk a little bit about um, the curse of oh, the Oh, yes. There's, there is a lot of this that I, I didn't know. I mean, when you mentioned the, the serial killer, uh-huh. I had no idea. Uh-huh. I didn't either. I, I didn't know that part. And um, I read about him, too, and, like, everything that happened. I'm just like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this, uh, this set was just cursed and haunted and all kinds of stuff well so um and and one day we'll do an episode about cursed films um Mm. but there is actually a documentary on shutter called cursed films yes and it talks about some of this and it talks about poltergeist too poltergeist that's like and i feel like the number one (laughs) yeah um so there are nine deaths that are connected with this movie including the actor jack mcgowan who played burke dennings the director who actually is the one that got thrown out the window that reagan killed right so he actually died as well oh Um, my god yep linda blair's grandfather um a night watchman on set and special effects expert um yeah so uh jack mcgowan died one week after the release of the movie Oh. Yep. And while on set, Ellen Bernstein actually suffered a permanent spinal injury due to a stunt gone wrong while she was shooting a, the scene where Reagan throws her off the bed. Um, and when you see her scream and she like goes and hits the wall, uh, that was actually a real scream of pain. <gasps> yeah. And that, they really used it? They did. Fucked up. Oh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. That's mean. <laughs> and then uh, in another incident, the entire set for the McNeil home caught fire and burned down, which uh, delayed filming for six weeks. However, Reagan's demonic bedroom was untouched by the fire. That's creepy. That's way creepy. Um, so with everything that happened, they actually hired a Jesuit priest named Thomas M. King in Washington, D.C., where the most of the film was being filmed. Uh, they actually hired him to come and bless the set. I mean, that's pretty smart. Because mm-hmm. we're over here with our sage and protection <laughs> stones, like trying to keep the evil spirits mm-hmm. away. Oh, yeah. Um, and then during the film's Rome premiere... Lightning struck a 400-year-old cross on top of a nearby 16th century church. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I would have ended the premiere. <laughs> I wanted to just... I'm that. like, everyone, go home. Mm-hmm. Say a couple of prayers. Mm-hmm. Light some sage. Smudge yourself. Yep. Uh, um, <laughs> Max... Oh, and Max von Sydow's brother uh, actually died on the first day of... Mac, or on Max's first day of shooting. Oh, my God. Um, and then also while filming, the son of Jason Miller, uh, Father Damien Karras, uh, was nearly killed when a motorcycle hit him. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Um, and then after, you know, obviously this is way after the film, but in 1987, uh, Mercedes McCambridge, who did the, the demon-possessed voice of Reagan, um, was the victim of a really terrible tragedy when her son murdered his wife and children before taking his own life. Oh, Mm-hmm. What is happening? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Um, and then many people believe that the film's cursed, and I can 100% mm-hmm. see why. Yeah. Um, and televangelist Billy Graham said, there's a power of evil in the film, in the fabric of the film itself. And he said this when it was first released. Um, and it was banned in every Middle Eastern country except Lebanon. Um, and then... <laughs> During the and also during the the Roman premiere, um, audiences had to fight their way through a torrential downpour with thunder and lightning, and obviously the the lightning that struck the crucifix on top of the church. Um, and then many inside claimed to hear a horrific, almost demonic cry coming from outside once the film started rolling. Um, and then wow. at one showing, a woman was so frightened she passed out in the theater and broke her jaw when she fell. What? She later she later sued the filmmaker, suggesting that subliminal messages caused the incident. Um, and Warner Brothers settled with her out of court for an undisclosed oh amount. Oh my gosh! Uh huh. Wow. Uh huh. Um, but I think even I mean, and that's that's just in Rome, but even in in the U.S. There were paramedics called to various movie theaters from people passing out and fainting. Um, Ellen Bernstein, <laughs> yeah, Ellen Bernstein actually wow. went to go see it when it came out, and she just went as a as a normal human, and she actually had to escort somebody out who was uh, in the process of passing out, and then actually did pass out in Ellen Bernstein's arm. But as she started to come to, Ellen Bernstein had to get somebody else because she thought, well, shit, this woman sees me here, but she's also seeing me on the film so yeah. she's just oh gonna freak God. out even more jeez mm-hmm. yeah. well i mean when we went to go see it again at uh Sinespia, i mean i felt like we were pretty well protected we survived <laughs> we did <laughs> i mean it was uh it was creepy though watching it in a cemetery i must say oh like, yeah I, I there was a little bit of uncomfortableness and <laughs> i mean i had my popcorn so i was fine but <laughs> but just seeing it again and then but watching it in the cemetery mm-hmm. that like i i could say for the first time it creeped me out oh yeah i couldn't sleep for a little bit after we got home yeah i, I have to say <laughs> no that's understandable yeah <laughs> um and a couple of other fun facts about the film. Well, actually, before we go there, oh. you know, the other thing that I actually really, really loved about this film and the, and the way that it was done. So I loved the use of the close ups of oh. the actors faces mm-hmm. because and it wasn't, you know, the the quintessential cheesy overacting scream from the 40s and 50s. It was genuine terror. Yeah. So I loved that they had such a strong cast that they used close-ups of all of these actors' faces. And the makeup was phenomenal. The other thing that I appreciated is the the music and the fact that horror movies in today's day and age typically resort to the very cheap trick jump scares mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the low kind of ominous music in the background and yeah. then some sort of big jump scare with, you know, some loud music or soundtrack in the background. Yeah, just coming up to mm-hmm. surprise you. Exactly. But this movie did it without having, I mean, short of using tubular bells when Max von Sydow rolls up. The, the score is very subdued. Yeah. And the suspense is built up without the help of any soundtrack. So as Ellen Bernstein is wandering around and hearing 
everything hammering upstairs and she actually, you know, she goes up into the attic to see Mm -hmm. what it is. And then she's frightened by someone coming to get her. That's you're genuinely shocked because you're waiting to see what's going to happen too. And there's no, there's no film score, no music score behind it. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, also too. That's why I liked uh, like invisible man. I didn't have like this, you know, huge soundtrack, like, they they did a good job kind of using sort of the same concept a little mm-hmm. bit but yeah absolutely oh yeah <laughs> um so th- fun fact uh this film was actually nominated for 10 academy awards i didn't ten. know that 10 <laughs> caught my sorry <laughs> took my breath there for a minute yeah it won it won it was nominated for 10 it won 2 so it won Best Adapted Screenplay uh, for William Peter Blatley. And then it also won for Best Sound Mixing. Um, but most of the actors were nominated. So uh, Ellen Bernstein, Jason Miller, and Linda Blair. Max von Sydow, unfortunately, wasn't. Um, but those three were uh, William Friedkin, Best Director, um, obviously Best Picture. And it was, so it was the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture. And there was actually a director, I forget who, but who was so pissed that he said he would uh, quit the Academy if it won. I'm like, bro, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> Take a seat. Take a seat. It's okay. <laughs> Relax. Um, and then the only other quote-unquote horror films, although I don't think all of them were classified as horror films that were nominated, were Jaws. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Jaws was nominated. Silence of the Lambs was nominated and won. Yeah. Um, I mean. How could it not? Yeah, rightfully so on that um, one. <laughs> yeah. And um, Sixth Sense was nominated. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, I would be curious if this year, or I'm sorry, for next year, if Invisible Man gets nominated. I wonder. I wonder. My girl, Elizabeth Moss. I don't know if it made the cutoff, though. Oh, that's true. No, but for for next year, it could have, because it came out... But isn't there a cutoff for time of year when it has to be released? Oh, true. I don't know. It would be interesting. I don't know. But maybe, I would like to see that. Maybe they'll re-release it and try to get try to make it happen. I mean, I hope they do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and me both. Um, so the movie still holds... A really strong rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's eighty-four uh, percent, and like we said, this is probably the 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 classic, quintessential, best horror film of all time for oh, a yeah. myriad of reasons. For sure, um, it was followed up with two sequels, nineteen seventy sevens Exorcist Two, Yep, The Heretic, um, which we won't really get into in this episode because it's really not important yeah um but you know it's just so you know mm -hmm. the film is set four years after the original Mm -hmm. and it centers on the now 16 year old reagan mcneil Mm -hmm. who's still recovering from her previous demonic possession and here's here's where they they lost me almost immediately with that film so the whole Pretext behind it is, you know, yes, it does center around Reagan, but the offshoot of the story is the Catholic Church investigating the death of Father Marin. Yeah. Now, if you're investigating the mysterious death of one of your priests, are you really going to wait four years to do it? Nope. Come on. Come That's on. That's a long time. Come on. Yeah. I uh, I mean, and it didn't, it didn't do... Uh, 
really good either. <laughs> no, it, it did not. Exorcist 2 is offered, uh, often considered not just the worst film in the series, but one of the worst major films of all time. Which, yes. Yeah. And then in 1990, there was The Exorcist 3. Which was much, much, much better. Yes. Well, I mean, it was written and directed by William Blatley. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps. Mm-hmm. So, but this one is set 17 years after the original film. It kind of ignores Exorcist 2, which is probably a good thing. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> But it follows uh, characters from the first film, uh, Lieutenant uh, William uh, Kinderman, who investigates a series of demonic murders in Georgetown that have the hallmarks of the Gemini, mm-hmm. a deceased serial killer, blatly based um, aspects of the Gemini killer on the real life Zodiac killer. One of the serial killers who actually enjoyed the original Exorcist creepy way creepy <laughs> way creepy and the so and and jason miller reprises his role as father Karras in that film yes you know what is really disappointing to you about the second exorcist is um one i don't know what happened to linda blair between one and oh, two i know but it's like homegirl just forgot how to act yeah um, like girlfriend what happened yeah her her acting is really terrible it had a really strong cast um it also max von Sydow rep- in reprises his role with a series of flashbacks because you know they're trying to figure out one what happened to him but two they're trying to track down the demon that possessed Reagan, and that's where the demon's name Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had, um, oh my goodness, it had James Earl Jones in it, who plays oh, yeah. the I mean, the psychic, the older version of the psychic boy who's possessed in Africa that was exercised by Max von Sydow. Mm-hmm. Um, it also starred Louise Fletcher, who is Nurse Ratched. From one of the yep. greatest films of all time, yes. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And um, she actually was two years off of her Oscar. And oh. then she decided to do that movie. Mm. Like, I, I mean, I would have read the script and thrown it out the window. Yeah. But, um, oh, and then also saw, uh, starred, how could I forget, Richard Burton. Oh, yeah. That's so right. with the strong cast that it had, it just was... I was really surprised. I mean, what a waste of James Earl Jones. <laughs> I know. I'm sure he had better things to do. I know. And I just, you know, in, in watching that, I was, I found myself just waiting for it to be over. Yeah. It was me just too. so hard to get through. I gotta say, it was really hard for me to watch. It got better when I watched the third one. The th- I loved the third one. Yeah. And let me tell you, the giant shears from the oh, third one. Yeah. I had nightmares about the shears. <laughs> you're welcome oh it was terrible (laughs) but i like how it was going off the whole like gemini killer the zodiac i kind of liked that i appreciated that they they took uh the character of detective kinderman and they kept that constant from the first one Mm -hmm. um i appreciated having jason miller in it i felt that the long drawn out exorcism scene in the end was unnecessary yeah um but, you know, they, uh, Morgan Creek uh, Productions, um, you know, that was kind of a last minute change. They wanted to add, like, an addition to it just to kind of give a little bit more of a climax. I I mean, 
Okay. I mean, we all like a little bit of a climax. Who doesn't like a good climax? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, so great. <laughs> we are awful. Anywho. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, I, I understand why they included it. But it felt a little drawn out and unnecessary. And yeah, then, I agree. Yeah. And then truthfully, some of the um, conversations with the Gemini killer uh, played by Brad Dourif. I felt like some of those went on for a little while. Yeah, I I feel. I, I, yeah, I kind of feel like they didn't really need to be there that much. No. But I get why it was there. Mm-hmm. But it was just a little unnecessary. Agreed. Um, so, it, you know. But I, I really liked the third one for, you know, overall. Um, it did much better in my mind to kind of tie the two stories together because I just yeah, felt I like agree. the second one was, you know, the second one to me was like Halloween 3, but <laughs> but like 900 times worse than Halloween 3. Yeah. At least I stayed awake for that one. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> Halloween 3, I forget is... A Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. I forget that it's part of the series. Yeah, but it's it's much better than this second Exorcist movie. Yeah, for sure. So I, it's still worth a watch. I mean, I, I encourage everybody to watch all three. Well, I have this thing where I like to finish like a series. If they have more than one movie, I yeah. kind of feel like I need to see them all. I agree. Even I agree if it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like you know, my whole opinion about the Purge. Yes. I still went to go see them all. Yeah. But I, I, I can I can definitely say after the last one. <laughs> oh, after the last one, I'm done. <laughs> but like, you know, with the new Halloween coming out, like... I still go see every Halloween yeah. movie when it comes out. Like, I've seen every single one, no matter, like, if they were terrible. I've seen every single Saw movie, even if they were terrible. Yep, that too. <laughs> Insidious. Like, I don't oh, know. It's just something yeah. about kind of like a series of movies. You just kind of have to watch it. Yeah, The Conjuring. Uh, well, yeah. Well, but, but those, those are those, but are, those good. are good. <laughs> the exception of the nun. The nun was a little flat for me. I mean, I still enjoyed I still you jumped. jumping up everywhere. I still jumped every <laughs> five seconds, but I wish that there would have been more <laughs> substance behind it. Yeah, I agree. It was chock full of good jump scares, but toward the end, it got a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I still encourage everybody to watch it. Um, yes. Fun please. fact. Uh, the original Exorcist was on the docket and up for discussion to be remade in 2015. Oh, I'm so glad. But it was canceled. Oh, so glad. I know. I'm. Please don't. It goes along with our with what we've talked about on the podcast before, mm-hmm. where just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Oh, you should not ever touch this movie. No. And oh, ever. did you watch the TV show? Oh, I did. I watched okay. the TV show. Gina Davis, my I, girl. Well, I just love Gina Davis, period. I didn't care for the TV show. You know what? The first season was cool. Mm-hmm. But then when it got into the second season, they lost me. Yes. Like, I liked kind of a little bit of the storyline in the first season. And what kind of helped it was at the escape hotel, they had an escape room based on the show. And oh. it, it was really good. Okay, I... It was really creepy, too. So that kind of made me want to watch the show. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got me a little bit into it. I liked it. But when it got to the second season, I'm like, mm, okay. Like, it just fell completely flat. Yeah. Because it didn't continue much 
on the storyline of, you know, Gina Davis and her family and them, you know, fighting off the, the same demon. Mm-hmm. Um, the Captain... Oh, Captain Howdy. Yeah, Captain Howdy. So I like that it was, you know, a little bit of a continuation and, you know, she has her family now and, you know, that kind of stuff. But then, like, once it passed that, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. I'm good. Yeah, because the second season wasn't good. At, like, no. At all. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But I did like the show and I did like the uh, escape room that I went to. Well, post pandemic, we'll have to go. Yes. I mean, if they if they bring it back, mm-hmm. because now with the show not being on anymore, I don't think they have that one. And it was in the basement, too. Ooh. And it was in the dark and you Ooh. entered like a church and stuff started moving. And just imagine I'm probably one of the only sober people uh, that was down there. Oh, I don't drink and do escape rooms because as, as we know, Sarah is ridiculously competitive. Yes. And I am that crazy person that's trying. And I also love puzzles. So I am that crazy person that's trying to solve the escape room in record time mm-hmm. so that we can get our name up on a board that no one looks at or no one cares about for five days. But I care. <laughs> well, which was nice kind of about this was that, I mean, there was a guy down there. Mm-hmm. As playing like a priest, Mm -hmm. the investigator. Mm -hmm. So, like, he helped you like a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, like, the. (laughs) Okay, real quick story. Mm -hmm. So, when I'm playing this, you know, there's a a group of other people in this uh, escape room, and pretty much all of them were drunk except, like, you know, five people, including myself. And these girls are like screaming when there's something pops up. So it gets to the part where we're trying to figure out how to open up this secret door. Mm-hmm. And the clue was something like, you know, look, you know, look to the names. So, of course, this drunk girl has the clue. And she was like, oh, we, we got to look up... Um, we got to look up these names. They must be in a book. I'm like, oh, no. It's called a Bible. Oh, honey. <laughs> She's like, Job. That doesn't sound like a name. Mm. Do they mean Job? Job? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I just, I politely said, can I see the Bible, please? Thank you. Because I'd like to solve this. It's like the escape room that Jared did with his childhood best friend. And they got lumped in with a couple of kids. Oh, God. These kids probably were in their late teens. And (laughs) part of the escape room was they needed to put a cassette tape inside of a tape player. And the kids didn't know what it was or how to use it. I'm like, I, I, what? You kids love everything that's retro these days. How do you not know about tape player? Yeah, it. Yeah, don't. If you do an escape room, please go in a a group with your closest friends Mm -hmm. that want to actually solve it Mm -hmm. and get out. And there was also actually a really great maze at um, Warner Brothers Horror made here two years ago. There was an exorcist maze and it was delightful. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, it wasn't a maze. We sat in the church. Yeah, we sat in the church. And then um, the Halloween Horror Nights did the maze. Yeah, they did do a good job. That's right. Because they did the part with her, like, coming down the stairs. Uh-huh. That was cool. Yes. So, the the one from Warner Brothers Horror Made Here, which 
is my personal favorite mm-hmm. haunt. Please during, bring it back. Yeah. Subtle plug, Warner Brothers, bring it back. It's amazing. Um, so we actually got to go inside the church where they played part of the film and then they had actors, you know, coming out at you and then things happened under your seats and your, the pews moved and it was, it was so much fun. It was really it was well cool. done. I think I jumped a couple of times. That was cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the maze that was done by um, Halloween Horror Nights, which was on the side of the back lot, like before you go down to the lower lot well when you're all the way down in the lower lot Mm -hmm. and then you walk 900 miles back usually through that terrible tunnel that's always way too loud and strobing Uh. lights it's that one that's right out there and at that same spot i think the um the shining maze was occupied by before that yes um and then also good yes but the exorcist maze that they did was one of my favorite mazes they've ever agreed it was so well done it was i mean that part where i saw her head turn around Mm -hmm. and it was getting ready to like squirt out whatever i ran yep because i knew it was about to happen yep (laughs) and it did it shot you with water sure did but i didn't get hit i Mm -hmm. ran well, and then, of course, because I'm shocked that somebody actually sprayed something at me, I scream, which just makes them like, ooh, Target, spray more. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, though. It was great. Um, so definitely, I, well, and we won't rate the show or two or three, but on a scale of one to five screams, Brie, what do you give the first Exorcist from 73? I mean, for me, it's a five. For me, it's also a five. I mean, it's one of my favorite horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, other than The Shining. Mm-hmm. Based um, on on time, like the time yeah. that it was released, the subject matter, and the special effects is just all yeah. around and But amazing. also, like, you know, the book, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very, very close to the book. Obviously, they can't go into the full detail in the movie, or else it'll be, like, four hours long. Mm-hmm. Which, also, not that bad, nope. but no one's gonna sit in the theater that long. Hey, unless, you're walking, or unless you're watching Endgame. I was gonna say, I did not get a drink for Endgame, because I knew I was not getting up. Because we all sat, like, three hours and something. sat for three and a half hours through Endgame. So, I don't know. If they make an extended version of what it, what they already filmed then i would go see that absolutely but yeah definitely a five for me and i feel like if you haven't seen it or read the book please do both absolutely and watch the others in the series as well you can skip the tv show but definitely yeah. watch the other two i mean you still watch it if you've got time but your priority should be watching the films yes mm-hmm. for sure yep. <laughs> so well thank you for listening today and also please rate and like us on facebook and instagram but also um and on any of the the podcast websites please rate and like us on there too give us a review yes we like reviews and we also want to hear what you think or if you have any ideas for us please email us at mm-hmm. the squ- the at gmail.com and just a reminder from our last week's episode, if you played any of the paranormal games that we talked about, we want to hear it. Oh, yeah. Email us. We want to know. know. Please. Yeah. And yeah, because, you know, we also want to know you survived. <laughs> <laughs> but if you didn't, you're obviously not going to email us. Yeah, exactly. But please, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, man. Creep it real. And we'll scare you later. Bye. Bye.